at SAFM Radio and at Mesh Constant on SAFM. 10 to 8 you are with SAFM. So in May, June this year in Pakistan, they recorded a maximum wet bulb temperature of 33.6 degrees Celsius. Delhi topped that, that and it closed, was very close to the theorized upper limit of human adaptability to humid heat. So when we say a wet bulb temperature, that is considered to be the combination of heat plus humidity, and apparently that gets dangerous much faster than people realize. One of the questions that a lot of people have been asking is, when will it get too hot for normal daily activity as we know it, even for young, healthy adults? We spoke to Dr. Stephen Anthony Wolfe, who is a postdoctoral scholar at the Pennsylvania State University in the States, to try and find out how hot is too hot. Our lab um, has a long history of looking at the kind of mechanisms of age-related changes in our ability to regulate our body temperature during extreme heat. But what we don't know as much about is how those age-related changes specifically translate, reduce the ability to maintain a stable body temperature in different environments. So specifically, what are the environments in which those age-related declines in physiological function result in differential risk of heat-related illness. So that's the overarching uh, purpose of the project that we're working on. The paper that we're kind of discussing today is all done in young, healthy participants, which we focused on testing primarily in the first couple of years of the grant, mostly because of COVID. We have fully controllable environmental chambers in our lab. And so we can control both the temperature and the humidity in those chambers. So our participants swallow uh, core temperature telemetry pills that measure their internal body temperature. And then they enter the chamber where we keep the temperature and humidity constant for the first 30 minutes to let them equilibrate to that environment. And then we start to ramp the temperature or the humidity. So we'll either keep temperature constant throughout and ramp the humidity every five minutes. So we'll either keep the humidity constant throughout the trial and ramp the temperature every five minutes, or we'll keep the temperature constant throughout the trial and ramp the humidity every five minutes. What we're looking for is the point where core temperature can no longer be held in a steady state. You've mentioned a whole bunch of things here. And I think that if I may start with the heat and the humidity, So I'm thinking a lot about how one could go into a sauna and it just gets hotter and hotter and steamier and steamier. The issue from what I understand is that it's less, although not completely less, it's slightly less about dry heat, but actually more about the issue of humidity. And I wonder if you could explain that. Yeah. So it's both heat and humidity. So um, in warm, humid environments where it's not very hot, but is very humid, our ability to maintain a stable body temperature is limited by the ability to dissipate heat through the evaporation of sweat. So when it's really, really humid, the water vapor pressure gradient between our skin and the ambient air is less. So sweat isn't as easily evaporated. And that's our main mechanism of cooling ourselves. So if we aren't able to effectively evaporate sweat, then we can produce buckets of sweat, but it won't actually be cooling us. 
in very, very hot environments that are really dry, we're limited by sweat, sweating rate. So we just are limited in how much sweat we can produce. That sweat is freely evaporated, but we just kind of can't produce anymore. And at the same time, the environment is hotter than our skin temperature. So we're actually gaining heat from the ambient environment. I mean, the big question, of course, in the article is, what is too hot for the human body? And I suppose let's look at it in terms of young, healthy adults, because that's where you started the research. In your research, what have you discovered? What makes for a too hot number? And what is that number? So we looked at the upper limit in terms of wet bulb temperature. And that's one of the papers we published. Wet bulb temperature is essentially, um, it kind of is an index of the, both the temperature and the humidity of the environment. So it's kind of, it's related to our ability to actually evaporate sweat into a parcel of air, right? Yeah, it's kind of an index that takes into account both the temperature and the water vapor pressure, to to put it very simply. So there were some papers published previously that suggested, based on modeling, that the upper limit for uh, human adaptability was about 35 degrees Celsius wet bulb temperature. And what our studies found was that it looks more like maybe around 31 degrees Celsius, and that's in warm, humid environments. But if we're in hot, dry environments, those limits actually appear to be a bit lower. It's really important to note that those data don't suggest any upper limit to adaptability. People who are heat acclimated might, those thresholds may be a little bit higher. Yeah. So 35 degrees Celsius may still hold up. We don't know for sure. But these are the upper limits for the maintenance of a stable internal temperature or core temperature. So once we go above those limits, the risk of heat-related illness starts to increase with prolonged exposures. You talk about that critical environmental limit. I mean, if you're saying 35 degrees Celsius as a wet bulb temperature, what is that in relation to the humidity? So I go outside and it's boiling hot, it's 35 degrees, it is hot. What would that humidity be? Yeah, 35 degrees Celsius, that relates to a temperature of 35 degrees at 100% humidity. So if you were at 60% humidity, that limit would maybe be more like 38 degrees Celsius. So the lower the humidity, the higher the temperature could go to a limit at, at some kind of critical limit. Correct. What's interesting about this, Tony, is first of all, I started to wonder, are there differences between continents or is that simply then just related to to temperature and to humidity? There are certainly differences in the kind of thermal environment that people are typically exposed to that differ by region, right? We're here in the northeastern region of the United States where it doesn't get all that hot or really all that humid typically. But if you were to go down to the southeast region of the United States, it's hotter and more humid. And even if you were to go to more equatorial areas or, you know, Southeast Asia, those kind of high temperatures and high humidity conditions are much more common. So those populations may be more just physiologically adapted to, uh, to respond to those kinds of environments. 
So yeah, there may be some differences by region in what those upper limits specifically are. What would the symptoms be varying from okay to really, really drastic? What kind of symptoms would you see take place? It, it depends on kind of what, um, what you're experiencing. So, I mean, you may have cramps that are related with, with heat stress and dehydration, right? Then you have heat syncope, which is lightheadedness or fainting that can occur. Heat exhaustion uh, during, you know, if you're exercising or doing physical activity mm -hmm. in the heat. It can go all the way up to heat stroke, yeah. actual neurological dysfunction. And, and that's, that's kind of the extreme case. So, yeah, it really, it really depends. So, Tony, I suppose one starts to look at this and it starts to feel a little like a science fiction story that one is looking into a future which could be so hot or so humid. Would we then start to have protective clothing and maybe the humidity will increase as well and reach that sort of climate limit where our bodies can't cope? What would we do? What are the solutions to this going to be? That's a great question. I mean, there are obviously adaptive measures that are going to need to be taken hopefully over time you know more people can have better access to to either air conditioning in their homes or cooling centers that they can visit to keep themselves cool there's of course a lot of great research being done to try to determine what kind of mitigation measures we can take. For example, fan use, what kind of environmental conditions fan use is effective. Wetting your t-shirt and then using a fan may be effective at times. It's hard to say, and hopefully we will be able to, to develop more technological solutions to these issues, but it certainly is concerning and, and uh, an area that needs to continue to be rigorously researched. Which is certainly what you're doing. In closing, Tony, I imagine that you've been following what's going on in Europe at the moment with interest as well, because that would certainly reflect some of the issues, given that we have so many places in the UK, they're not really built. The built environment doesn't really help or support those kind of um, temperatures. And I imagine that you, you're really following that with interest. Yeah, I mean, that, that goes back to there are a lot of regions that historically didn't have these kinds of issues so commonly. And so they're not really built to, to kind of withstand the, the magnitude of the heat waves that we've been seeing. And so certainly the, those regions, steps need to be taken to figure out how to mitigate the impact of heat stress in the future. I will say, you know, as a small anecdote, um, I live in Johannesburg, but I grew up as a child in KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa, which is a very humid province in the country. And I always remember as a small child that when the humidity reached a certain point, I don't know what the percentage was or the number, we were all allowed to stay home. We didn't have to go to school. And I'll never forget that. It was always like, ah, you know, great. As I say, a fascinating article and certainly one that we're going to have to give a lot of attention to as we move into the future. I mean, I, I'm be really, really interesting to follow. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Dr. Stephen Anthony Wolf, postdoctoral scholar at the Pennsylvania State University.